Welcome to a new episode of the China Flexpat podcast. And today it's very special because we've got a real China VIP, Ashley, on the show. Ashley, I'm so happy to have you here because I've learned so much from you and I think I, I'm pretty sure that many of our audience have heard or seen you before. So now we are very inspired to have you on the show. Welcome, Ashley. Woo, thank you so much, Francis. It's such a delight to be here. And I am Ashley. Um, I was born actually in Manchuria in the Russian Far East. And by now, some of you may know that I am one of the few naturalized Chinese citizens based in Hong Kong. I've been working and living in Greater China for the past 17 years. And I came uh, to mainland to study business and economics. So I am not a sinologist, but rather a business person with focus on China. And uh, yeah, about 10 years back, I moved to Hong Kong, started my own business and six, seven years back, started doing thought leadership, sharing daily insights about Chinese consumers, digital economy on LinkedIn, YouTube and other platforms. So here I am, very excited to be uh, here with you, Francis, today, and of course, contribute to the uh, China Flexpath community. Thank you, Ashley. Could you just briefly explain how did you get to China in the first place and how was the move from China to Hong Kong? So I moved to mainland when I was 17 years old and a lot of people move across the world for two reasons. It's either love or money. Which one do you think it was? Francis, I was 17 years old, 17 years old. Money. No, it was love. Well, a boyfriend okay. of mine at the time, he was studying Chinese. And that's how I also uh, came to China to study. I thought it was a great idea that we studied together. So that's how we relocated to mainland. And that was the time, you know, 2005, 6, 7, 8, when China was going through a huge digital transformation. Um, you know, everything was bought and sold online. It was just after SARS when e-commerce platforms were already ripe. There was social media, uh, local and also international social media started coming in. So that was the time when, um, you know, Googles were still in the country and Facebook was just popping up and WeChat was a new app and new kids on the block. So it was very, very exciting. And um, I saw the writing on the wall a little bit earlier. I was like, okay, my professional life, I definitely want to be working in this digital China space. And later on, in terms of the move from mainland China to Hong Kong, um, I lived in Chongqing back then. So Chongqing, some of you know right now, it's a very cool place, close to Sichuan, close to Chengdu. It has a lot of innovation, hot food, mountains, beautiful women, all that stuff. I loved it, but it had also a very small, back then, expat community. So it was challenging to get some Western food, to have a lot of, you know, Western friends. And uh, yeah, I was looking for something a bit more international. And uh, yeah, uh, Hong Kong was a great option back then. So I decided to relocate to Hong Kong, purely a lifestyle choice, because I do enjoy um, hiking. I do enjoy the beach. I do enjoy, you know, all those things. And since then, um, you know, it's been a great, great, uh, great journey here in Hong Kong. And of course, a lot of work with mainland China as well. We have offices in Shenzhen and Shanghai. And of course, I had office in Hong Kong as well. And how did you get this uh, passport, uh, Hong Kong passport? You go through naturalization. So the process is called naturalizing as Chinese. So ultimately, there are some points that you need to collect based on your education background, based on your 
uh, age, based on, you know, all those things that kind of define you as a, as a person, as a professional. So it is very similar to, I don't know, to getting a long-term visa or a passport in the UK, per se. But and on top of that, you also need to write an essay uh, about your contributions to the motherland. In other words, how have you significantly contributed, you know, to uh, greater China? And uh, yeah, I wrote the uh, CV, uh, CV and I basically passed when it comes to those points. And then you submit all these documents and you wait for about a year, sometimes year and a half. And you hear from the um, government, uh, they will basically get back to you whether they think you're qualified to naturalize as Chinese. And in my case, I was qualified. I was very, very uh, lucky and happy. And then the process is you need to renounce your other nationalities because currently it uh, doesn't matter whether you naturalize in mainland China or you naturalize through Hong Kong, SAR, you still need to renounce your nationality. So then you basically give up your previous or other passports and then you get a Hong Kong passport, like in my case, but it's still Chinese nationality, Hong Kong passport. So when I travel to mainland China, I actually have the Tongxing Zheng. I have the proper you know, permit, like a Chinese permit, Chinese person's permit, not an international passport to travel into mainland. So it's a proper naturalization. So I can, I can, you know, perfect. with confidence say that I am a national minority Chinese by now. Wow, that's perfect. And you're a real influencer on digital China. So can you give us a little bit of a background? How would you describe the China digital ecosystem? Well, first of all, let's talk about China digital economy. It is very broadly dis described as something that helps, uh, let's say, all sorts of supply chain and processes to be digital and online and including communication, et cetera, et cetera. So China's digital economy has gone through a huge transformation and growth over the past years. As we know, for example, in 2008, it constituted only 15 percent of China's GDP. And in 2021, it was already 39.8% of China's GDP. So as we can see, this digital economy, obviously, in the country is growing. And when it comes to uh, China digital ecosystem or ecosystems, then this is like, a, think about China as a unique Galapagos island with its own unique species of animals and its own unique uh, landscape. So that's exactly how essentially China has built itself. Um, and the things that kind of differentiate it from the rest of the world are obviously the fact that the government is driving this vision forward. Number two, the fact that we have the tech giants, right, including uh, previously it was BAT, right? So Baidu, Alibaba, Tencent, right now we also have Meituan there. We also have ByteDance in there, etc. The other thing that is very cool is that China has the super apps. So the rest of the world tried to build them. And right now, uh, by the way, talking about super apps, who do you think has the ambitions to build a super app to capture the world, just like WeChat, right, or Alipay. So who in the West is trying to be that WeChat or Alipay? Elon Musk. <laughs> well, Elon Musk is trying to be a lot of things. But if we're talking about the um, actual company, right, the app, that is WhatsApp. In some regions of this world, they are actually trying to integrate some features. They're still very, very early stage and very far away. In some other parts of the world, like, for example, the Philippines, Meta, right? Facebook is trying to be that super app. So, and again, in, in for example, places like Burma, yeah, Myanmar, they are succeeding because 
for them, Facebook is the internet. But in China, of course, we have those integrated super apps um, that are just next level. And of course, um, there are also, when it comes to building this China digital ecosystem, there, there are some newer champions from Mio to Shein to Luckin Coffee that are popping up, they, that, that, that are reinventing very often kind of business models for their industry. And then are being successful in the country domestically and taking it internationally as well. So if international players try to build something similar in their home markets, what could they do? You just mentioned WhatsApp. Is there any other any other idea? What, what can they do to build something similar? Well, a lot of companies actually from American companies to, let's say, Indian uh, enterprises are learning from China right now. And these are the projects that we see coming in a lot more now than let's say four or five years ago. So for example, when it comes to customer centricity, this is one topic where a lot of Southeast Asian and also Western, collective West enterprises are learning from China, how to be truly customer centric, how to build communities, how to build your internal processes to focus on customers, right? So a lot of them focus on, for instance, uh, hires uh, which is a model that allows you as a big company to break down your operations into smaller silos or they call them micro enterprises. And these micro enterprises are serving a specific customer need. Um, yeah, they innovate a new product, they launch it, they test it, blah, 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 blah. Um, so long story short, what international companies can do, they can learn from China's successes in the customer centricity, in the um, future of retail, yeah, all this group buying, live streaming, private pool and private traffic, etc. And of course, they can also learn from some of the China's management models, because in the country, we have a lot of new consumption brands that are fast, innovative, very much focused on the customer, and they're able to capture market share very quickly uh, with fewer resources. And they are very often kicking out big players from their categories fast. What can international companies learn? I think these are the three major things, customer centricity, future of retail, and also management models, because all these three things are going to make or break you in China or outside of China in the next 10 years as a big enterprise. And of course, not to say that everything in the Chinese digital space is great. No, there's challenges. And that's why we can learn from that market. Sometimes there are transferable skills that we can apply right away. For example, as I said, this mindset or, for example, live streaming. How do we write a cool script that can be used anywhere in the world with certain adjustments? Uh, but there are also some things that cannot be learned. For example, the fact that Chinese consumers are so tech savvy and are so willing to actually try new things. Yeah, you bring something like this to Germany where you are at. And my husband is German. And I can tell you a lot of people be like, no, we don't need that. We like the way it is. It is just too complicated. So not all lessons can be applied right away. So if international brands try to enter China and they want to compete on this digital ecosystem in China, so what's your advice? My first advice is you need to ask yourself whether you are ready because number one, your company needs to be a big company. For example, when it comes to uh, Alibaba, uh, Tmall Global, they recommend like Tmall in general, not the Tmall Global, but the Tmall one recommends that your business needs to be about 15, 50 million, five zero million US dollars in yearly sales revenue. If you are smaller, that would be very, very difficult. Number two, uh, you need to see 
whether your brand is already known among Chinese consumers. So have you done this search? Are people talking about you? Yeah. Have they traveled and bought your product back? Do you have any Daigo that are actually selling your product? Number three, are you ready for a long haul flight? It's not going to be, I'm going to come to China and, you know, make, make millions of dollars in the first quarter. You're going to lose money for the first one or two years, and then maybe you're going to make money. It's very, very hard to compete. You just need to carve out your own demand. And once you carve out the demand, usually through product quality, your product needs to be so outstanding that people want to buy it. And you need to have that appeal as well, be more human, uh, not just a brand, but to build a real community. And then, of course, uh, right now, it's a bit more difficult to just sell because you're from overseas, because the community is a lot more nationalistic. They prefer to support domestic brands. So you need to try harder. But ultimately, in China, you know, it's still very pragmatic. If your products are good quality, if you are telling good personalized story and you are you know, serving your customers uh, in their uh, preferred kind of community, and if you are you know, smart about your marketing and sales, process is easy you're going to be just fine but competing them just like coming in and suddenly outperforming let's say lacking coffee like starbucks outperforming lacking coffee uh, on the local platforms even that did not happen not to say that starbucks is an international company because in china they operate very very locally yeah but still the speed the operation a couple of other things lacking is for instance doing better right so it's very difficult for me to imagine a newcomer into the market coming and kicking out domestic um, domestic brands uh, very quickly now ashley we are flex pets so we try to work in china as with an international mindset but we have some advantages and some disadvantages so How can FlexPets provide value in this market entry strategy for international brands? And where would you rather take a Chinese person who has other advantages? Communication and strategic vision come to mind first. Communication with senior people, because, um, you know, talking about European, Western or international outlook combined with China, creating this kind of global strategy, global vision. This is still something very difficult for Chinese local professionals, even high-level professionals. Why? Because they focus on China for China. Because China is such a big market, everything becomes China, China, China. So many of uh, my friends from large brands and large companies, they are often struggling with the fact when they, for example, make a Chinese local professional ahead of Asia. But still, a lot of discussions go to China first because this is the mindset that was kind of created and curated over the past 15, 20 years. So China has always been the biggest, the most important, etc. So when we come as flexpats, we can bring this outside perspective. Right now, for a lot of international companies and brands, it's not just China. It is China plus. Plus what? Plus India. China plus. Philippines, China plus Indonesia, China plus something else when it comes to, let's say, Asia or the world, right? We look at China plus blah, 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 another market or two or three. And um, yeah, flexpats can definitely think on a more global scale. And the second one, as said, communication, communication um, with the top leaders, sending balanced, but also interesting insights from the country and looping them into the global picture, this also can be very often done by flexpats a little bit better than uh, local uh, professionals. But rather than that, when it comes to China for China execution, of course, local professionals are the best. So value of flexpats is always there. 
for communication roles, for leadership roles, uh, and also for roles when, let's say, international company or global company goes either, you know, to China or from China. So build, being those bridges, uh, that role will never be diminished and it will remain important. Ashley, if you were to train Chinese professionals to do these three skills, mm. how would you do it? Um, I would probably send them abroad. <laughs> okay, how about staying in China? You know, no, no, how if they stayed in China, how would you train them to be, do that, to communicate in a like more senior way, to have a bit more broader big picture, to not not be so quick, but takes a moment to to react and to reflect and to better plan. Is that not something you can also learn in China? It depends, company to company. Very often in Chinese enterprises or even in international enterprises, but Chinese teams, the focus is on immediate results right now. Let's just get stuff done. And this doing attitude is great because it creates the China speed, but it also is lacking some of the strategic vision. And very often in China, and I agree, very often this kind of long-term strategy or oh, 10-year plan or five-year plan or whatever, it doesn't work because you don't know what's going to happen next quarter. Uh, but there is still a balance to that. Yeah, being more strategic, I believe you need to be surrounded by people that are more strategic. You need to be put into this uh, structure that allows you to put different puzzle pieces together. If you're just running within mainland China team, and the environment itself is not supporting those specific, uh, you know, skill development, it's going to be very, very hard. That's why I'm saying send them abroad. Uh, but if, um, if we don't want to send them abroad, of course, do some, you know, seminars, do some uh, role play, you know, learn, play, apply kind of format that could work. And when it comes to China for China and uh, uh, that particular point, I think that the Chinese professionals really need to understand and recognize the value of, uh, you know, outside world for their businesses. For example, if you work for Coca-Cola and you think that, oh, okay, I don't know, 20% of our global business is China. Obviously, China is very important. And then you're being sent to India where it's another, let's imagine, and I don't know the numbers, but let's imagine it's another 20, 25% of global business. You realize, oh my God, so it's not just China. We're actually making a lot of money in this market and it operates differently and we can also learn some stuff from them. So yeah, that's what I would have done. Ashley, now Chinese brands, they are doing that. They're going abroad and they're going to send their teams and they're going to send them abroad and try to be successful abroad. So what are they doing and what would be your advice to them? Chinese brands are definitely becoming more uh, international. There was this recent survey by CEIBS and they were basically talking to various Chinese enterprises in uh, variety of sectors. In 2020, only 14% of companies that they surveyed said that more than half of their revenue comes from outside of China, which also made 75% of the companies that they surveyed make more than basically 50, 60, 70% of their money in the country. Majority of businesses still focus very much on domestic market. It's big enough, it's you know special enough, all that. But at the same time, when it comes to 
uh, you know, consumer brands, for example. There's so many cool consumer brands that China is creating and they create this competition for international brands in the country. And then these consumer brands, they can also take outside of the country. For instance, uh, my favorite one, uh, Michue, right? Michue ice cream and tea. You remember this? I love you. You love me. Yeah. Michue ice cream and tea, right? I mean, these guys are fantastic. It's a, it's a company that right now has their shops in Singapore and I think they're opening, uh, you know, across Southeast Asia, etc. Apart from all that, of course, we have cosmetic brands, we have fashion brands. We are actually publishing a report later this year about 50 Chinese designers and designer brands that are, you know, reinventing what fashion is here in Asia. Consumer electronics, uh, electric cars, etc. So there's so many, so many brands. Uh, my, one of my favorite examples, actually, when it comes to China going global is about gaming about Chinese game developers that are selling abroad. I have numbers here. So in July 2022, 39 of the top 100 mobile games by revenue worldwide were from Chinese firms. Think about it. 39 out of 100 top Mm. mobile games, which means the minds of the youth are right now captivated by the Chinese games and, you know, plots and all that. I think, number one, more and more brands are going international. Number two, especially consumer sector is very strong. Number three, it's not easy for them to compete, especially given the current geopolitical state, the current media narrative that is very much against the Chinese companies, brands and philosophy. But quality ultimately wins. And the first and foremost destination for many Chinese brands is going to Asia. Southeast Asia in particular, and later on, obviously, some of them also expand to the rest of the world, broader world. And um, because we are, told, we've just now been talking about flex pads and a bit of HR topics in that same survey from uh, CEIBS, they say that the biggest challenge of Chinese companies going abroad is actually not geopolitics, but it is the talent problem. Very few top talents want to work for Chinese companies. That was very, very interesting. And I think 51% of companies, based on that survey, confirmed that this is their biggest pain point. So what can Flexpads do here to help Chinese brands both in China, but also in other markets? And if you take a Flexpad who's been in China for, let's say, five years, and goes home to his home market, and then has a bit higher skill set because of speaking Chinese, maybe, or having some experience working with Chinese, what's that worth? I mean, if you have two Germans and one has been in China and one has not, so how can he charge a higher salary? Nobody's going to pay for that. Oh, I think they should. I think they should because this is your experience. Ultimately, that's your experience being in the market, living in the market, your deep understanding plus language skills and all that. It's it's a completely different quality person. I think we also need to differentiate the soft skills and hard skills. So very often when we talk about flex pads, are they a professional in a specific field? For example, uh, right now, when it comes to Greater Bay Area, Greater Bay Area is hiring thousands of international developers coming from India, the US, Europe, Brazil, wherever. For example, Huawei as, as one single company, they are trying to lure professionals that work in semiconductor slash telecommunications uh, industry from places like Taiwan, places basically all around the world, Korea, et cetera, et cetera. One is if you have a hard skill, you are an engineer, you are a developer, you're whatever else, or if you are, you know, you've been based in mainland China before and you are, let's say, logistics professional or, or uh, manufacturing professional, whatever else. 
you have a heart. So whatever comes on top of that hard skill makes you uh, a potential leadership material. So you definitely shall be charging more. But if you just have soft skills, for example, just speak the language and you've just lived in the country and you worked as a, I do not know, um, assistant or, or, or a manager that did tons and tons of things, then your superpower is communication, maybe mindset that is very agile and you can probably be groomed as more entrepreneurial leader when they sent you to, to the country or they, they sent you either to China or they sent you from China to abroad and say, okay, now set up the business for us, develop the business for us, do something for us that did not exist before. So I think it's very important as a flagspat to really understand what is your core? Is your core a certain hard skill on which you add on your China expertise? Or is your core a soft skill based on your China expertise? And based on that, you can build a career that will be um, you know, even more successful. And in my view right now, more and more Chinese companies going abroad. So they will need great people. So position yourself properly. Be out there. Be on the lookout. I think that is fun. And of course, right now, after the pandemic, after this whole geopolitical situation, China is also struggling to attract international uh, professionals to actually, you know, move in the country and support the development of key areas. So you also have an opportunity here. Ashley, I want to be a bit more personal. What are you really thankful about if you look back on your career? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm a very grateful person. Uh, I try to uh, basically focus only on lesson. And I think when it comes to grateful, each and every painful moment in my professional career that happened up until today, from like when you establish a business, for example, you lose all sorts of respect, right? Previously, the respect was given to you because you worked for a cool company, you work for BMW, or everybody wants to meet you, right? But uh, you lose a lot of respect because nobody knows the name of your company and what it is you're doing. So that the other painful moments, like it feels very lonely to establish your own business. Sometimes your clients you know, just don't pay, delay, run away or whatever else. Um, it's painful to hire a team, fire a team, figure out what's your, you know, culture, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So all this, I'm very, very grateful for all in each of those painful moments. Why? Because they pushed me to study psychology and they pushed me to work on myself. And today I'm a big believer in the fact that if something in your business is not working, you shall be working on yourself first. So that is 100% proven by my own kind of experience. I'm very grateful that I pushed through about five, six years ago. I pushed through uh, this thought leadership journey when I read a book. And in that book, they basically told us that you need to start publishing content online. If you're not going to publish content, you know, you're going to become irrelevant and, you know, start doing your thought leadership, start sharing your best ideas online. And I committed to four months of daily work daily and in these four months it was basically absolutely unsuccessful there would be no one caring about the content no nothing went viral but well, i found you but i pushed through exactly yes you did <laughs> but i pushed through i just went for it and then one post became a bit more successful it was a post about wechat long long time ago and that's how uh, again i saw that starting with Facebook, YouTube, LinkedIn, uh, Instagram, etc. I figured out which of the platform actually works for my audience, what I'm trying to kind of uh, bring onto people. And LinkedIn was that thing. So I continued working. And up until today, I publish on LinkedIn daily. It's a full-time job. All the content that goes out on LinkedIn is goes by me. It is my content. I write it. And yeah, so I'm very grateful that I pushed through. And right now it is 
a big part of also the lead sources, for example. Yeah, the projects that we find, the partnerships, because people just know you, hopefully like you and trust you. These are the three most important things. And the last thing is, of course, the opportunity to create. When you are a business owner, when you are an entrepreneur, you can make your vision come to life very quickly. So, for example, I want to set up a China Digital Summit. I set up China Digital Summit, right? There's nobody to tell me no or what. Like, you just go and you do it. And I think uh, it is such a superpower. It, I'm so grateful for the opportunity to be able to have a vision and then just go and do it together with the team and the network and uh, the community. Please tell me more about the China Digital Summit. What can we expect there? Ah, so it's going to be a, a huge hopefully outstanding event in Shanghai uh, on the 18th of October. And we're bringing together professionals from commerce, uh, meaning marketing, e-commerce. We are bringing professionals from tech companies. We're bringing also all sorts of consultants and agencies together. Um, and the theme of this China, we call it Digital Plus Summit, uh, are actually customer centricity. Again, how to develop that customer centricity and customer-centric journeys. Number two, it is focusing on the uh, technologies and Number three, the future of retail. So the technology is in action and then the future of retail. So ultimately, it's all about Chinese consumer, how the technology empowers this consumer to be who he is, and then completing it with a transaction marketing and you know actual sales. We are bringing a lot of really, really cool people uh, to deliver keynotes. Keynotes are going to be short, 20 minutes only. There are going to be some panel discussions. There are going to be interactive sessions like games. So it is one day, eight hours packed, very fun event. Uh, if some of you ever read our books or reports, I believe in high quality content. And I think that it's the most exciting thing in the world to be able to produce, to birth this value, right? So it's going to be packed with value. It's going to be great speakers, community coming together, community learning together, and community hopefully uh, also turning it into a, yearly, yearly event that is going to be the landmark event for anything digital China in English language uh, in the country. So that's what's coming, 18th of October. <laughs> Ashley, now you have the chance. What's your message to our audience? Guys, my message is as digital professionals, as China Flexpat, uh, as somebody who understands this part of the world better, this is our time to bring the world together. Despite the media, despite the geopolitical tensions, this is our opportunity to connect. This is our opportunity to thrive, to build, to co-create, to have the community. You have the voice, you have the impact, you have this very, very important role right now. So my message is whatever, wherever you are in the world, uh, whatever it is you are doing, just you know, build a community around you, share your own story with China, help learn from and help China learn and help learn from China. And ultimately, I do believe that we as a community, we as China plus the world, always better together. So this is my main message. We are better together. And now is our time to shine. Thank you so much, Ashley. I'm so inspired by you. I've been following you on LinkedIn for, for years. So I'm maybe one of your first fans back in the day. Thank so you happy, so much, Francis. So happy to have you on the show today. Thank you, everybody, for tuning into the China Flexpat podcast once more. This was a very inspiring episode, lots of energy. And I do hope that you take the time to share this with your friends, anyone who is interested in China digital marketing, anything about market entry, branding, and uh, also take 
take some time to think about what you can do to add value to your company, to other companies in China as a Flexpad or working with China in your home country and help us to also get more followers online with anything you can do. You can take a screenshot of this episode, just send it to your friends or you can send a link. Um, there's so much you can do and you can also recommend a new speaker like Ashley. It doesn't have to be such a VIP. It can be such a normal person. Totally okay. But we really hope to extend this community and um, with this thank you so much for your support and see you next week bye bye